All right, well, we are, are 14 days into our, um, our, our 21 days of, of fasting and prayer. And uh, two things I want to encourage you with, and, and really, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Phil and, and Gary already been encouraging these things. But number one is, is just don't give up. Just don't give up. It's usually... I think around this time where, where the enemy is going to start lying to you, and he's probably been lying to you the whole time, uh, but maybe, maybe some of you have heard, this is stupid. <laughs> Why are you doing this? <laughs> right? Nothing is happening. Nothing is changing. You're just on a strange diet. Okay? Anybody hear that? I have. Yeah, that's the enemy, right? He wants you to give up because the enemy knows what happens when the church starts to seek the face of God. He starts losing and we start winning, amen? So don't give up. You're almost there. See the finish line. I believe in you. You can do this. Keep pressing. God is Faithful. Amen? God is faithful. Here's number, here's number two, is it's not too late. It's not too late. Did you know that, 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 you don't, that God doesn't need 21 days to do a miracle in your life? Do you know that? He doesn't need 21 days. Right? And so if you haven't participated yet, and you're feeling down, and you're feeling guilty, it's not too late. It's not too late. We've got seven days left. God created the entire earth in six. What can he do in your life in seven days? Amen? So don't miss this opportunity. Don't think it's too late. That's just another lie. Okay? But as we've been singing, as we've been, been, been saying, this can be your breakthrough. This can be the turning point in the battle. This can change your life and your family forever. And you can still know God more. You can still know God more. Hallelujah. So it's not too late. Okay, and next Sunday is January 29. That is our testimony Sunday. So that's the day that we get to brag on God and encourage each other with what God has been doing during this fast. Okay? And so right away, some of you are, are thinking, well, someone else is going to be encouraging everybody, but, but I need you to pray about this. Okay, I need us to pray about this. I need you to, to ask the Lord, not if you should share, ask the Lord what you should share, okay? And I want you to pray for courage. Pray for courage so that you can give someone else courage. Does that sound Okay. Okay, so let's come next week. Testimony Sunday. I'm so excited about that. Let's come with an attitude that we're going to be obedient to the Lord that day and uh, just submit to whatever He wants to do that day. Okay. So we are in a series here called Progressive Prayer. It comes from Luke chapter 9, or, or sorry, Luke chapter 11, and it's verses 9 to 10. I'm just going to read it for you. So I say to you, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, 
and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Okay? I think it's so important that we remember the context of this scripture. Right? A lot of us take these, these scriptures sometimes out of context and we claim them and name them and claim them and blab them and grab them, but, uh, <laughs> but it's not working. It's not working because it's out of context sometimes. Right? So let's remember that this is in the context of just after Jesus was teaching on the Lord's Prayer. Right? So Jesus is teaching that the ask, the seek, and the knock of prayer must first be within the boundaries of God's word and God's will. Okay? So he doesn't give us everything that we ask for. In case you are still puzzled why your Ferrari is not in your driveway this week. Okay? But God does want to give us everything in his word and his will. Okay? I've got nothing against Ferraris, by the way. So when we talk about prayer today, it's, it's going to be in the context of God's word and God's will. Does that make sense? Here's another thing. This, this is in the context of two parables, two illustrations that contrast who God is. Right? To help us understand the character of God and, and the generous heart of God the Father. Because it's so important, and Jesus understands this in teaching us about prayer. It's so important that we understand who we're praying to, right? It matters who we're asking, okay? Um, my kids, for example, they know who to ask for the late night blizzard run. They know who, that if they ask their mother, it's a three to four percent chance that they're going to get blizzards. But if they ask their dad, the chances are I've already bought them, so... <laughs> So there's, you know, they know. They know who to ask, right? And, and so Jesus is trying to help us learn who we're asking so we will ask. And that's, and that's exactly what we talked about when we talked about the ask, that God wants us to ask and that God is eager and he delights in answering us. Is that true? We also talked about seeking, how seeking the Lord, seeking his face, that's our our main purpose in life. That's our reason for existing. And to fulfill that purpose, we need to intentionally battle against the enemies of seeking God, which we talked about two of them, busyness and pride, right? To battle against those. And that when we seek him diligently, we will find him. What an incredible promise. What an awesome God that we serve. And today, we're going to be Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. I've been waiting a long time to say that. So let's turn to Acts chapter 12. That song has been in my head all week. Acts chapter 12. And, and I'm going to read a little more scripture than I usually do here. I'm going to read verses 1 to 16. I want us to see the whole thing that happens here in this story. This is when Peter is, is in prison. So Acts chapter 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Okay, Acts 12, verses 1 to 16. I love hearing those, those pages turn. That's such a great sound, isn't it? 
Okay, verse 1 to 16. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So he wasn't messing around. He understood the power that Peter had in the Lord. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. Watch this. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. So Peter is about to be killed the next day. First of all, what's he doing? He's sleeping. And he's sleeping so much that the angel has to give him a kick to wake him up. That sounds like someone who is at peace with the Lord, whose steps are ordered by God. Amen? Doesn't fear man, but fears God. And the angel says, quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So this is, this is some of the church that was earnestly praying for Peter. And watch verse 13. Peter, Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter's at the door! And these mature, believing, faith-filled Christians said, you're out of your mind! (laughs) And when she kept insisting that it was so... They said, it must be his angel. They had more faith that it was an angel than it was Peter. That's actually quite a bit of faith as well. (laughs) But Peter, watch this, but Peter did what? Kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were 
astonished. You know, I think this, this story, this entire story is a picture of persistence, of persistence. It's the church's persistence in prayer, right? It's Rhoda's persistence in, in to the, talking to the disciples. It's Peter's persistence that he kept knocking on the door. You know, one thing we've talked about in this series is the progression of intensity from ask, seek, and knock, right? Um, I've got two teenagers living in my home, and one thing I've learned about teenagers is that they are always hungry. <laughs> and as anyone else can testify? Yeah. Okay, and, and so um, I'm barely through the door, and right away my kids are asking, what's for supper? Right, it's not, oh, Dad, we love you and we miss you. It's, what's for supper? Do we have any food in the house? And of course we've got food in the house, but really they're asking, is there any food in the house that I want? And is it already prepared so I can immediately start to eat it? That's really what they're asking me. And so when I say, yes, we've got food in the house, but they're not satisfied with that answer, now they seek. Right? So now it's gone beyond asking. Now they're seeking. Now they're on the hunt. Now they've stepped up the intensity. And now they're searching the cupboards and the fridge and the couch for food. <laughs> I mean, they are crazy a little bit. And, and they're, when they're not satisfied with that, then guess what they do? Then they knock at my door. Right? And they don't just ask me to take them out and get them the food that they want or that they like. But they are persistent, they're, they're determined, they're insistent. And I really think that's the difference between asking and knocking is in knocking there's a persistence. There's a determination, there's a resolve. There's a, a tenacity, right, involved. Right, Peter didn't stop Knocking. He didn't just ask once. He didn't stop knocking. Let me ask you, when you knock on a door, you're knocking and you want someone to open the door, how many times do you knock? Go ahead, shout it out. Four, seven, lots. Okay, I'm going to guess though that the answer for all of you is more than once. It's more than once. See, knocking implies persistence and prayer requires persistence we knock until someone opens the door peter knocked until someone opened the door we pray until something happens the church didn't stop praying until they saw the physical manifestation of what they were praying for it was peter alive and free amen amen Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I, th- I thank you for being here. I thank you for what you've done. And God, I just pray now that we're going to hear your word, uh, that we're going to uh, respond to your word, that we're not just going to be hearers. We're not just going to be speakers of the word or singers of your word, like, like Nick said, but we're going to be doers of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's understand, the church wasn't just asking, 
they were knocking. Did something change when I was praying? So, see, prayer works. Prayer changes things. Um, so, so verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. So they're not just asking, but, but earnestly means they were serious. See, another word for earnestly is solemnly or gravely. They were dead serious, right? Knocking and persisting in prayer. It shows God that we're serious. It's another level of asking. And the reason why they're so earnestly praying for Peter is because James, one of their disciples, one of their friends who they love, James, one of the original 12 disciples, was just killed by Herod. And now he intends to kill Peter. So the church is knocking. There's that greater intensity in their prayer. The church is persistently praying for Peter. There's a tenacious attitude in prayer. But let's understand, persisting in prayer is not telling God what to do. We don't persist in prayer because we're trying to to get our way. We're not trying to twist God's arm to make him do what we want. That's not the point of the persistence. Okay? Let me ask you a question. If you're if you're in a fishing boat and you're you're just a little bit off the shore and you go to to cast your uh, line, I don't even know fishing terms. Why am I doing a fishing illustration? You're going to cast your your line and in the is it called the backswing? I don't know what do you call it? In the backswing, before to cast your line, your hook gets caught on the shore. Let me ask you a question. Are, are you going to, when you reel that line in, are you going to pull the shore to you? Or are you going to get pulled to the shore? Right? See, when we, when we pray with the right heart, it's not trying God, it's not, it's trying to get, it's not trying to get God to, you know, pull to us, but God pulls us to Him. And to his will and aligns our heart with, with his, not the other way around. We're not pulling God to us and our will. But the reason we persist in prayer is because we believe he's a good, good father who wants the best for his kids. Amen? Right? We believe that, that we persist in prayer because we, we believe in his word. His word is the power of God unto salvation. It's alive. It's active. It tears down strongholds. We persist in prayer because we believe his promises are yes and amen. We believe God is faithful and true. So here's my my point number one is we persist in prayer because we have persistent faith in him. That's why we persist. Because we believe in him. We keep knocking because we know he will answer. And you know that tenacious, that never give up, that determined attitude to never stop knocking, to persist no matter what the circumstance. See, the wicked, the wicked king never stopped the church from knocking. 
The, the prison bars never stopped the church from knocking. The chains never stopped the church from knocking. The, the 16 guards never stopped the church from knocking. And listen to this. Even God's sovereignty and unanswered prayers never stop the church from knocking. It doesn't say this in the Bible, but I would guess that the church was also earnestly praying for James. Right? Most likely, their prayers were not answered but they kept knocking. Nothing in the circumstance stopped them from knocking because they serve a God who can make a way where there is no way. They serve a God who can change the circumstances overnight. We sing about it. He turns mourning to dancing. He gives beauty for ashes. He turns shame into glory. Our God turns graves into gardens. He turns bones into armies. He turns seas into highways. He's the only one who can. Hallelujah. Because he is Jehovah Nissi. He is the Lord, our banner. He's the God, our victory. We serve a God who made a way for us when there was no way. We had no way to God. We were hopeless in sin until he gave us Jesus. He gave us hope. And now our victory is in Jesus. And now we knock from a position of victory. Amen? That means every enemy, every demon, every trouble and trial, every plan and weapon of the devil, every scheme, every lie, every stronghold, every chain was defeated on the cross at Calvary. Amen? Our victory is in Jesus. That's why we knock. Because we have victory in Jesus. And because they earnestly and persistently prayed, what happened? God showed up. How many of you ready for God to show up? Amen? Hallelujah. The angel of the Lord came. The prison doors opened by themselves. The chains just fell off. Peter literally walked by the guards as if he was invisible. And he might have been. Because that's what our God can do. The enemy was left dumbfounded and helpless and hopeless. Kind of like Roscoe Pico train in the Dukes of Hazard. Six of you understood that reference. How many can say God is able? Turn to your neighbor and say God is able. Now turn to your second choice. And say God is able. <laughs> That's life point number two. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Lots of us know this scripture. Lots of us like to tell everyone this scripture. Okay, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. In other words, God is able. Amen. I wonder how many of us know, though, the rest of that scripture. 
Raise your hand if you know the rest of that scripture. Amen. According to the power that works in us. God can do all according to the power that he has deposited in us. As believers, how many of you know that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit and his power? Right? And I'm not talking about worldly power. I'm talking about dunamis power. I know the right way to say it is probably dunamis, but I think dunamis sounds more powerful. So I like to say dunamis power. Do you know what dunamis power is? It's the ability to get results. It's God power. Hallelujah. There's power in prayer. We have the ability to get results because of the power that God deposited in us. But first we have to pray. We have to pray. Right? Knocking implies action. God doesn't lift our hand and make us knock. Right? According, that word according to the Greek means to measure out or it means distribution. See, we we need to use the power that that resides in us as believers. And so I'm going to ask you this question. how, How much of God's power are you measuring out in your circumstance? Is it possible that God's unlimited power is limited in our life, in our circumstance, based on our prayer life or lack of? Because we're not knocking. So number three, we need to distribute His power in prayer. Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people will pray, then, then I'll hear and forgive and hear and heal. (laughs) The church has the power to come together and seek and ask, and knock, and change circumstances, and save lives. We were doing that on Thursday night, weren't we? There's 47 people at the church on Thursday night prayer, and we were seeking, and we were asking, and we were knocking, and God was moving. Hallelujah. Last night, and ask for rain. The worship and prayer night that we're hosting here, there's believers from all different churches measuring out the power of God in prayer. We can do that as the church. We can do that as believers in Jesus. We can measure out, we can distribute the power of God. Dunamis power to get results. Hallelujah. And so I feel like God is saying today, don't Stop knocking. Don't stop knocking. Okay, and and I just want to address three areas, three reasons I think we stop 
knocking, and, and I'm almost through, okay? And so number one is, is sin. Sin attacks prayer. Sin causes us to hide from God, right? And we don't have to look farther than Genesis chapter 3 to know that sin makes us hide from God. Remember Adam and Eve Every day we're walking and talking in communion with the Lord. Every day. Until they disobeyed. Until they sinned. And then what it says in verse 8. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, sin attacked their communion with God. And the reason why sin attacks prayer is because how many of you know that prayer attack sin. Prayer leads us to godly sorrow and repentance and forgiveness and prayer gives us the power to live in righteousness. Amen? One man said, a sinning man will, will stop praying and a praying man will stop sinning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The best way we combat sin is by prayer and relationship with God. But you know what happens is we sin, we blow it, we make mistakes, and then the enemy starts lying to us. The enemy starts kicking us while we're down. He starts heaping on condemnation and guilt. And now we start believing the lie. We start believing the lie that now we have to stay away from God. we got to hide from God. We can't be around church people. We can't go to church because there's sin in my life. And, and, and we can't go back until I'm, I'm good enough to go back. I can't go back to church. I can't go back to God. I can't go back to prayer. I can't be around church people until I've cleaned myself up. That's like going to a barber after you already got a haircut. Right? It's like we show up at a grocery store uh, with, with our hands full of bags of food. That doesn't make any sense, right? You don't go to God after you clean up because he's the only one who's got the power to clean you up, right? And so the enemy just wants to to lie to us because he wants us to hide from God. But listen, the truth is the church has issues. The truth is everyone in this room has issues, okay? We, We all struggle with our flesh, we all struggle with our mouths. We all struggle with our thoughts. We all struggle with our attitudes. We all struggle being selfish. Right? We all struggle loving people. We all struggle trusting God. You know what the Lord showed me? that The thing that I have to surrender? My time. That I was being selfish with my time. I want you to turn to someone and say, excuse me, you have issues. <laughs> and now say, and now say, children, children, just please, no, just kidding. And now say, and now say, but so do I. But they're not as bad as yours. No, just kidding. Okay. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. See, we're not here because we're, we're perfect and our lives are perfect and our relationship with God is perfect and our families are perfect and we never sin and we never make mistakes. But we're here because even though we're not perfect, even though we fail, he doesn't give up on us and he forgives us and he still loves us and he makes us righteous and he empowers us to live in his righteousness. That's why we're here. Amen? Another reason I think that we give up on prayer is because we don't see the results right away. How many of you know that sometimes it takes time to, to move God's will from heaven to earth? Sometimes that takes time. Lots of us are familiar with, with the story in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel prayed and fasted. He prayed for 21 days and, and didn't receive an answer for God until 21 days. I know some of you are praying a lot longer than that for things, right? But in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12 to 13, an angel came to Daniel after that 21 days, and this is what he said to him. He said, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God. Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, you know Michael, the archangel, right? He came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So let's understand this. God answered Daniel's prayer on day one. He answered his prayer on day one, right? But there was a delay in the spirit realm. There was a battle with a principality. The king of Persia, that, that's a principality. That's, that, that's a, a, a very strong demon who has authority over a nation. And the reason why he has authority over that nation, it's through the sin of the people in that nation. Right? So, so but Daniel kept on knocking he continued to pray and he won that battle in the spirit realm and then after 21 days he got his answer but listen if Daniel stopped knocking he wouldn't have received the answer and the fact is is that we can't see we don't know what's always happening in the spirit realm and when we pray right when we pray but we can trust that God will answer I like Romans 12 12 it says rejoice in our confident hope be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Don't stop knocking. Pray until something happens. So maybe that discouragement comes when we don't receive results right away. Or maybe that discouragement comes when we've prayed and we didn't receive what we were praying for. How many of you ever prayed for someone who was sick and they still died? Anybody? Right? And so James died, but the church kept on knocking. You see, everyone who asks receives, but we don't always receive what we ask. Jesus prayed three times in the garden, let this cup pass from me. Three times Jesus prayed that, talking about the crucifixion. God did not answer that prayer. But he gave Jesus what he needed in that moment. He gave Jesus his presence. 
He gave Jesus his strength and his comfort and his peace. And God may not answer your prayer, but he still gives you his presence. He still changes things in your heart, in your life, whether we realize it or not. And sometimes our heart is what he wants to see changed more than the circumstance. We can still shift the spiritual climate in our prayers even when we don't receive exactly what we're asking for. But we don't know the impact of our prayer. Don't stop knocking. Sin, discouragement. The third one is complacency. Complacency. Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 12 says, At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I'll punish the men who are complacent, who, who, those who say in their hearts, The Lord will, will not do good, nor will he do ill. See, that's someone who's complacent. They're just they're content with the status quo. They've got that que sera, sera attitude. Well, whatever will be, will be. Right? It's, it's someone who's satisfied with, well, it's good enough. It's good enough. It's not great. It's not the best, but it's good enough. Right? For your life, for your family, instead of God's best. Raise your hand if you're a child of God. If you're a child of God. Hallelujah. See, as a child of the king, you've got the rights and the privileges of the kingdom. You're heirs of God the Father. You're co-heirs with Jesus Christ, don't settle for good enough. Let's not tolerate partial health. Let's not tolerate partial freedom. Did Jesus win a partial victory on the cross? No. But we can live in and we can believe for all the finished works of the cross for us and for our family. Let's live the life that God has planned for us and not be satisfied with anything less than his best. Let's knock and keep on knocking. Let's pray until something happens. Because our God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. What an incredible scripture. If you take out the adverbs, exceedingly, abundantly, above, the scripture still says the same thing, doesn't it? Our God can do all things. I mean, that's pretty good. All things, all that we ask or think. But, but the Holy Spirit, when writing this, said, you know, that's not good enough. I'm going to say above. I need you to write above all. And, and then he wrote above. No, not quite. We need to say abundantly above. No, we're not quite there. I need you to understand that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Hallelujah. Why would we as children of God settle for good enough when our God is the God of more than enough? Amen. Why would we do that? Please hear me this morning. Let's not be content with our kids attending church. 
Let's not just be satisfied because our kids go to a a Christian school. Let's not just be pleased because they can say prayers at night or they raise their hands in a worship service or because they serve in a ministry. But don't stop knocking for your kids until Jesus is the love of their life. Until they regularly seek his face with passion and zeal. Until he's first. Don't stop knocking until they fully surrender to God in every area of their life. Until they give him every relationship, every decision, every plan. Until they're willing to die to self. Until they're willing to lay down their life before him. Until the king is sitting on the throne of their life. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop knocking until your kids are fully immersed in Holy Spirit fire and power. Until they're living out the victorious Christian life in His power, in His glory. Let's not be content. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop knocking. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. What a God we serve. I think it's time to do some knocking. I'm going to invite our worship team up and we're going to sing one last song. And, and the reason why we do this isn't because we're trying to prolong the service and be more spiritual. Okay, the reason we do this is because we want to give everyone an opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to them throughout the whole day. Okay, so I just want to encourage you to respond. Whatever the Lord is saying, whatever the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart, I just want to encourage you to respond. You can stand, you can sit, but, but this is between you and the Lord. Just, just engage Him and let's just respond. Let's, let's ask, let's seek, let's knock, let's do whatever the Lord, the Holy Spirit's leading us to do. Amen.